This is Based in Fact, a true crime podcast. Join host Lisa O'Brien as she examines America's most infamous true crime cases through the lens of the court, not the court of public opinion. No spin, no theories, no rumors, just facts. Here's Lisa O'Brien. Good evening. In episode two, I'm joined by Amy Kingry and Jennifer Harmon to talk about the Oklahoma Pardon and Parole Board. Before the controversial decision to break their own rules and consider Julius Jones's requests for commutation and clemency, the board was the target of a criminal investigation into its processes after questions were raised about the release of Lawrence Anderson, a man sentenced to serve 20 years in prison in 2017. His first attempt at at release resulted in a denial in 2019, which should have made him ineligible to reapply in 2020. Shortly after Anderson was released, he committed a grisly triple murder. In what is likely to be a developing situation, Amy, Jennifer, and I will talk about the rules governing the board, the irregularities in the board's consideration of Jones's applications, the resignation of Chairman Adam Luck, and Governor Stitt's replacement employee appointee, among other things. Amy is a native of Oklahoma and has been a paralegal in Oklahoma City for 21 years. She co-founded Oklahoma's Victims Innocence Project. OKVIP is a community organization dedicated to supporting victims and survivors of violent crime as they navigate the post-conviction litigation process. Oklahoma Victims Innocence Project goal is to let victims know that they have a voice to speak the truth, even though their voices shake. She's also the proud mom of five children and bonus mom to three stepchildren, so there's never a dull moment in Amy's house. She's also a CrossFit enthusiast and with her significant other, a fan of the Oklahoma Sooners and OKC Thunder. Jennifer Harmon is a native of Tulsa, Oklahoma, a community advocate, alert neighbor captain, and a Navy veteran. She holds a Master's of Divinity from Phillips Theological Seminary and co-founded Oklahoma's Victims Innocence Project. Um, She also was a co-founder of Justice for Peggy Gaitan in 2011, That group was a citywide publicity campaign comprised of residents across Tulsa, local media, and small business owners, which was instrumental in helping police make an arrest in the tragic murder of grandmother Peggy Gaitan on December 22, 2011. Jennifer and her husband live in the heart of Midtown Tulsa and are fans of the OKC Thunder as well. Jennifer also spends her free time educating students and Midtown neighbors about the Barred Owls Midtown Tulsa, including tending the live stream. Finally, tonight, we're joined by Kyle Steinhauser, a candidate for the co-host slot. While I think he's going to do well, we'll see how he feels at the end of the episode. All right. 
uh, Kyle, why don't you introduce yourself to the audience? So good evening, everybody. Uh, my name is Kyle. Um, I am based in Texas, and I have had an interest in sort of the criminal justice system for several years. You know, and Lisa, I've, I've certainly admired your podcast and all your work um, that you've done online trying to educate people. And so I'm really excited to be here. You know, and I would say, you know, my primary interest is really trying to make sure that people are educated and that they have all the facts. Um, as somebody that I admire often says, facts don't care about your feelings. And so my passion is really about you know, not even necessarily wanting to change people's minds, but whether it's talking about the criminal justice system or other issues that people at least approach these conversations with a, you know, from a fact-based perspective. Um, so many of these things get sort of lost in the emotions of social media. And I know my experience has been, you know, really, I think I started, you know, years ago with kind of the Darley Routier case. I used to live in Rowlett, Texas, um, where she lived at the time of the murders. And what I've discovered is there just continues to be a broad chasm between what sort of the popular press or the corporate press says or what advocacy groups say about particular cases, as opposed to what you actually find in reading the court transcripts and when you dig into the specifics. So I'm just honored to join you and sort of help, again, shed some light of truth onto some of these issues that seem controversial. But I think you know, for a lot of people, once they really learn the details of these cases, they realize it's not what they have been told by either social media or even corporate media. Absolutely. Perfect. You're going to fit in very well. <laughs> and I think you and I are going to work well together. Well, even if we so. are of the same mind. <laughs> so, uh, Amy and Jennifer, if you'd like to, Jennifer, if you'd like to kind of introduce yourself to the audience and and then we'll uh, let Amy introduce herself. Sure. I'm Jennifer Harmon. I reside in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I'm a native Tulsan. I'm a Navy vet. I work in public safety and different facets of public safety in our city from being an alert neighbor captain to founding um, different justice initiatives like justice for Peggy Gaitan and most recently in myself and Amy co-founded the Oklahoma Victims Innocence Project which she can explain a little bit more and and that was sort of springboarding on what Kyle was talking about you know just it's an extension of being able to help the public understand facts of the cases, have the information, um, but, and also primarily to make sure that the victims of victims of victim survivors of these violent crimes and homicides, that they know that we are out there supporting them during post-conviction litigation, because the primary thing that we've learned, at least with uh, that through the Howell family or uh, other families recently is how alone they feel in this process. And so that's how we sort of came together to do this. And we're each, myself and Amy are both at ground zero in our respective cities with respect to the Julius Jones case. And so, you know, it all came, came together when it was supposed to. And 
and at the prompting of several different national true crime podcast supporters who sort of encouraged us to help them, people in New York and California sort of understand what in the world is going on in the wild, wild west of red state Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. So here we are. <laughs> so, Amy. Hello, uh, my name is Amy Kingry. I reside in Oklahoma City. Um, I have been in the legal world for over 21 years as paralegal. I have, <clears throat> excuse me, I have done every single area of law that you could think of. Um, I certainly have my favorites. Um, you know, Jennifer said that she, she and I co-founded Victims Innocence Project, and it was, you know, she had some experience in it before, like she noted, and I really, I didn't. How it started for me is I was supporting a friend um, who is the niece of Paul Howell, and we grew up together. We were still living around the city at the same time when that happened, and so I had basically just been reaching out to her and trying to provide support and things of that nature, and, and then I found myself really, really mad. And Mm -hmm. really frustrated Mm -hmm. with how that process went, how it went down, how they were treated. And I believe my words to Jennifer, I remember, I'll never forget, I was sitting on my couch in my living room and I was like, we have to do something. Mm -hmm. We cannot let this continue to happen. Is that right, Jen? Did I get it right? That is 110% (laughs) right. You know, and it just from that point forward, I couldn't, you know, we're not going to change the world. But if we give one victim or victim's family member out there a little bit of comfort, then that's worth it. You know, they have victims representatives for the different departments and things, but you guys, they can't, Mm -hmm. they can't walk them through the way that Jennifer and I are now seeing that they need to be walked through. Right. I just attended an execution last week and, uh, you know, the victim's family, there were things that they didn't know. And she's actually said she wished she had been more informed. And so our hope is to fill the gap kind of a little bit Mm -hmm. with that. You know, all of these, um, the criminals, they get a, an attorney or apparently whatever, you know, at their hearings and things to sit there and walk, walk them through and hold their hand and let them know when they need to have their stuff done. And Mm -hmm. I don't think enough of that is done for the victims and victims families. And I don't think that's any fault of the state. It's, it's a lot. And there's, there's more that can be done. And I hope that Jennifer and I can fill in that gap. Yeah. Right. And just really quick, given that probably one in seven people now is going to be the victim of a violent crime. It's, mm-hmm. pro- it's probably apt that right. um, people are educated about the different ways that um, criminal element can end up in their neighborhood or on their street. Right. And I yeah, think and that's if- the other, I'm glad you said that. I'm sorry. That was the other point when Jennifer and I decided that night that we had to do something was like, she said, it's a public safety issue. And I thought, there are so many people in Oklahoma that have no idea what's about to happen if we don't do something. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. And I can't imagine these families who have already had to deal with just an unbelievable horror and have to go through reliving it during a trial proceeding and an appeal. But then, especially those where you see, you know, the person who killed your loved one you know, put up on a pedestal as some sort of, you know, national hero for no other reason than you know, there's an advocacy group behind the scenes using the case to raise money. And I just can't imagine how some of those people have to just live with that and just relive that the most horrible night of their life. 
just mm-hmm. constantly, especially in a way, you know, that's just so offensive to the victims. Right. And, you know, even in the days before social media, victim families often, when there is a lot of support for killers, victims' families suffer the consequences. They are harassed. Mm-hmm. They are accused of being behind the wrongful conviction. They're accused of lying. They're accused of, you know, mm-hmm. keeping innocent people in prison because they want to believe the lies they were told by the police. Right. And nothing can piss me off more than an advocate for a killer telling me that the family needs to be told the truth. The victim's family needs to be told the truth. Right. Mm. Right. Case in point, Julius (laughs) Jones sending Megan Toby, a survivor of her brother's murder, sending her a letter in the mail in 2012 saying uh-huh. you're all wrong about me you need to tell him it was the other guy yeah i mean are you are you effing kidding me yeah well on that note you know what you were saying as far as they get you know re-victimized and harassed mm-hmm. i don't think i've ever seen anything as harassing as what was done in the julius jones case leading up to his execution date but oh, what i did see is the realization that these victims and the victim's family, like the Howell family, they shouldn't have had to fight you guys. That's right, the problem right. is that they should not have had to get to the point where they got to, mm-hmm. you know, they shouldn't have had to ever endure that not once, but twice. Right. As far as in front of the pardon and parole board. But I mean, that's a huge issue. It is a huge issue because Oklahoma has victims rights right. and they're being blatantly disregarded left and right. And on that note, let's try to answer the question for the listeners of what is wrong with the Oklahoma Pardon and Parole Board? (laughs) That is is the title of this episode. Uh, Of course, we know that in uh, 2012, there was an allegation made by DA David Prater uh, against that pardon and parole that whatever comprised that board at the time of uh, secret meetings and violating open meeting laws. And um, can you shed any light on that, Amy? Uh, On the 2012? The 2012 ish. Yeah, the 2012 kerfuffle. So basically in 2012, uh, David Prater, who is Oklahoma County District Attorney still, he was tipped off by a victim's family that the person who killed their loved one was getting out of, out of prison on parole. So David Prater looks into it and says, hold on a second. She's not even eligible for parole until 2016. Oklahoma has an 85% crime law. And this was one of those of violent crimes that fell into that. So basically what that means is you aren't even eligible for parole until you have served 85% of your sentence. Mm -hmm. So she was already four years short. So he sends a letter to the pardon and parole board and to Governor Fallon and basically finds out that this pardon and parole board had designed um, another docket. Uh, They called it PDI or pre-docket investigation of basically criminals who they wanted to try and expedite and get to the parole process sooner. Well, the problem with that is Oklahoma has an open records act. Mm-hmm. And this was not being done under the Open Records Act law. Yeah. So 
luckily that individual didn't end up getting out, but there were ones that did get out. And one that was even, here's one, this criminal actually got back out onto the streets. He was convicted of an 85% crime, first degree uh, burglary in 2005. He should not have been considered for parole until 2017, Mm -hmm. but he was paroled that year in 2012. So that was the first issue. And, you know, I want to touch on this right now and we can touch on it when we get there as well, but there was a lot of um, negativity and accusations regarding surrounding the Julius Jones um, clemency and, and commutation that it was all because Prater, you know, it was a racial thing and Prater wanted to see a black man die. And I mean, you name it, it was all Prater's fault. Yeah. Yeah. But exactly what was happening is what happened in 2012. It is Prater's job and it is his duty as another, any other DA Mm -hmm. to speak up when something's not right. Correct. Right. And that's what he did then. And it ended up, it, it got worked out. And after he actually had to file a lawsuit that he ended up dismissing. Mm-hmm. But he had to file a lawsuit and um, it, you know, the thing is, is if nobody says anything that it's going to continue to happen. Right. And I think right. that's one yeah. of Jennifer and I's things is if we, if we stop talking, then it's going to continue to happen. And who's going to be the next, you know, Julius Jones case. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's the fundamental problem, right? Is we're a nation of laws. And that's one of the mm-hmm. things that makes our nation great is where, you know, we can, we all have a pretty good expectation that the criminal justice system and the civil, you know, the civil laws work. And so again, it's, if you have an issue with the 85% rule and you can debate that, that's a separate issue. Fantastic. Have the state legislature change the law, right. write new laws, but to just, you know, circumvent, you know, that is just, that's very concerning that you have public officials that, you know, they can effectively just ignore the will of the people as it's, you know, expressed through the legislature and just do whatever they want. I mean, that's very, very concerning on myriad levels. Right. And really, you know, people, uh, well, there are certain groups of social justice ideologues in Oklahoma who don't like Mr. Prater as a district attorney. But I mean, listen, I'm gonna tell you what, if that guy, that guy is all about prosecution, he's about the law, and he's about getting it done. And he does not fool around when people are trying to do things um, that aren't on the up and up. And he spare, he will spare no expense or time in making sure that some kind of crazy ludicrous precedent is going to be set. And, and I really, I appreciate that about him. And I, I think people um, don't, I think sometimes Oklahomans fail to recognize just how much he fights for the law and for the justice system and, and for public safety. Right. And you shouldn't have to, right? It's got to be a mm-hmm. distraction knowing that, okay, yeah. not only do I have to do my day job, but I also have to make sure people right. aren't undermining the rule of law by these but, kind yeah. of shenanigans. I, yeah. But I think our society has gotten to a point, and it's very close to a point of no return, where David Prater doing his job, citizens, quote unquote, citizens try to get a grand jury to charge him criminally with doing his job it's part of that narrative lisa 
Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. That Jennifer well, and I have talked about before. It's part of that yeah. narrative. I mean, he's used to it by now. I mean, there's a guy in Oklahoma City named Jess Eddie, and if David Prater sneezes the wrong way, then Jess is going to want to try to get a grand jury. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't ever. I've sort of grown used to the Jess Eddie chronicles against David Prater. So it's kind of one of those things where you go, oh, here comes Jess again. Okay, well, right. and, and that's really, um, I think, a terrible distraction as well, Kyle, mm-hmm. because. Um, you know, there are way more people out there, Oklahomans who appreciate what our prosecutors are doing than there are the Jessettis in Oklahoma City and Tulsa, who are just really creating just a bunch of, um, uh, well, I probably shouldn't use the word and I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's the same thing too, with a lot of these innocence fraud cases is, there are bad eggs out there. There's bad police, there's bad DAs, there's wrongful convictions. Let's save the energy for focusing on the actual wrongful convictions and the actual bad DAs versus, you know, for political reasons, going after all of them just because they're in law enforcement. Right. You know, Kyle, there's a man in Texas who is a innocence fraud expert, Mr. Dudley Sharp, and he is just a monumental wealth of information about what's really going on with these innocence projects or uh, innocence frauds as we call them um I strongly encourage you to look him up and reach out to him he, what was his last name dudley sharp sharp thank you he he has been around for years i remember Forever. him from the old uh, mm-hmm. uh bulletin board internet bulletin yeah. board days oh yeah I'm going to follow up on what you touched on, Jen, is I think, you know, you said there's good eggs and there's bad eggs. And I think there's just some, you know, I mentioned narrative and I think that people get sucked into that Mm -hmm. and, you know, they don't take the time to do their own research. What I will say, though, about that egg is Prater is not perfect either. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was just in court last week wherein a victim was not treated the way that she should have been treated by Mr. Prater. Yeah. And it was Jess Eddie that stuck up for her, you know, so. Well, of course he did. (laughs) Of course he did. Well, but what I'm saying is even I saw that it wasn't, you know, it, it, the victim wasn't being considered first. So, but that's the thing is that there's really not a common ground of what the victim should be treated like now because it's gotten so blown to the left. Right. Well, and everything is everything in our culture, right? It's Captain Obvious, but everything is so binary. So you either have to be all in law enforcement good or all in law enforcement bad when the reality is the world is very gray and you mm-hmm. can't make blanket, you know, it's not a team. You can't just assign everybody good or bad just based on what their job is. It should be based again on the facts of a particular situation and the specificity regarding a particular situation. Right. And it's a case by case thing. You have to judge each case based on its own facts and merits rather than because, you know, and, and we see this, I see it in the Rodney Reed case all the time. Every time a Texas law enforcement officer gets in trouble, they hold it up and say, see that proves Jimmy Fennell murdered Stacey Stites. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like that has nothing to do with Stacy's tights. It happened 
20 years after Stacy Stites. How is it related? Right. And to just to expand that here in Tulsa, um, we came up on the 100 year centennial of the Tulsa race massacre mm-hmm. in, in 2020. And I mean, there was just this, this pot of different factors that just made it ripe for the Julius Jones public deceit campaign to just explode. Right. I mean, we had all this national attention and, you know, all the people that I went to seminary with who were standing with and supportive of Julius trying to say he's innocent, let him out, let him out, including municipal leaders. And I, I, I was really taken aback at how they have just jumped into this ideological space where if he's black, that means he was wrongfully convicted and all of that falls under that big umbrella of systemic racism. Mm-hmm. But, and then yet I'm standing amongst these people that I know and, and nerded out with at seminary saying, well, now, wait a minute, wait a minute. What if in fact he is guilty? And, and I mean, they just won't even, they just won't even consider it. And, you know, that was a, was a real eye opener for me that um, so many of them just jumped on board and then because in my mind they've absolutely ruined their credibility because I can't you know I mean what am I supposed to do with you as a public Mm -hmm. safety person how can I ever refer anybody to your faith circles if I now know that you didn't care about the facts you just were on a bandwagon that if he's black he should be let out he's not right and I mean yeah I mean that's just ludicrous and it's not reality. I don't know whose reality it is. And I mean, there were, there were places and, and that includes the pardon and parole board. I mean, the, the people that Mr. Uh, that governor Stipp put on the pardon parole board, specifically two of them, you know, there were part of that arm of people who are either anti-death penalty ideologues or, it's always uh, systemic racism exists. And so therefore mm-hmm. everything else was not on the up and up. And, you know, that was a really not a smart move for him to appoint them because, you know, they may have been proficient in their specific lanes in terms of hiring nonviolent offenders when they were released, but these were not the people that should have ever been put as the gatekeepers for our Department of Corrections. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, you know, it's something interesting, the, the, the narrative of quotes and systemic racism in the criminal justice system, they paint it as though police are out mm-hmm. grabbing minorities off the street, charging them with crimes that don't exist mm-hmm. and putting them in prison for the rest of their lives. Right when you know there were real crimes there were real victims right and um and i i have a bit of a draconian view of drug offenses because in my experience people who end up getting in serious trouble for drug offenses have gotten chances after chances multiple chances to stop doing what they were doing Mm mm-hmm and not only do they not stop, they become emboldened, they get bigger. 
-hmm. and they're stupid. They get caught. Mm -hmm. So um, I, you know, I think drug offenses and drug crimes lead to violence. Drug abuse leads to violence. Well, the speaking of drug crimes, that is where this whole thing has taken off in Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Because <clears throat> when it was reclassified, certain felonies were reclassified to misdemeanors, which meant that criminals were able for to be eligible for parole sooner. Mm-hmm. So that's about the time that this this current pardon and parole board, sans Adam Luck now, uh, mm-hmm. was put on that panel. Right. And it was right about the time, you know, we were just talking about that 2012 uh, issue with the pardon and parole board. I don't know if you guys are um, familiar with a gentleman by the name of Chris Steele. He uh, was <clears throat> Speaker of the House and he actually made a statement at that time. And you'll understand why I'm telling you this here in just a second. During the time of that issue with the pardon and parole board in 2012, he stated that he applauded the district attorney's efforts. Mm-hmm. And he said that um, this board cannot be anything less than following the absolute letter of the law in the most transparent manner possible. Mm-hmm. Anything less is unacceptable. And, you know, he said that the pardon and parole board has to be committed to following the letter of the law and acting in the best interest of public safety. Right. And that right there is not anything close to the crystal <laughs> that you are here today. Because That's once he was done with his term, he then was on the pardon and parole board. Yeah. And he made it very easy because he was exiting his term right about the time that Stick came in, got new, mm-hmm. got new um, counsel that was on the side of justice reform. And then you see the members get appointed that did. Right. And, yeah. uh, you know, the statistics, first of all, the website is not meeting the open records law, in my opinion. The no. last fiscal year report is from 2018. Right. On the PPB? Right. On the PPB. Yeah. Uh, but the 2018, the, the, the stats for 2018 to 2019 are kind of disturbing as to commutations, because it shows a 426% increase. Right. 2018 to 2019, that's when they did that big um, reclassification. Yeah, that's scary. They let them all out in one day. Uh Well, what the the thing is, is that they, there was pressure, there were a lot of public reports about Oklahoma having this ginormously huge incarceration. You know, our jails and prisons are overflowing and people are falling out the windows. They're so full. And so what I think Governor Stitt did, and I think what their their goal was to, okay, yeah, so the guy who just got popped for possession of weed getting a 30-year sentence probably needs to not get the 30-year sentence. So they went through right after I think they appointed right after Stitt appointed some of these players that we have now and Mr. Luck on the board. And they wanted to do a big mass release, a commutation. Who are the people that are not a danger and let's do the big commutation and try to make a big drastic reduction. And that's all fine and good. 
But unfortunately, in doing that and sort of trying to hone in on a process for that big mass commutation, um, members on the board, i.e. Adam Luck and Kelly Doyle, um, they began to make suggestions about the process that, be, that eliminated things that would most certainly disqualify a person from commutation. So let's mm -hmm. get rid of all the misconducts on that form or let's get rid of this or that. And they just began to blanket, stamp, approve these people. And hey Jen, explain what it means, such as get rid of misconduct and what mm -hmm. that does for a commutation packet. Well, if you, if, have if you have a misconduct and, and it's on your commutation packet, that stage one process that they're just sort of making sure everything, all the I's are dotted, the T's are crossed. The moment they see the misconduct, well, you're, you're out, you're done. You don't right. get to move on to stage two. Well, they went. If you had one within the past year, sorry. Exactly, right. And so it, it kind of, that nixed you from the process. So, you know, in order to speed that up and, and as they put it, streamline everything, um, they took that out of the process. Well, when, and then when they did that, uh, for example, they, in that big mass 450 or however many they released, um, they had a couple people uh, and most sp specifically a man named Lawrence Anderson who had just been denied to any kind of moving on in the commutation literally mm -hmm. a few months prior, but they, they changed their form that they were using and he actually got to, he actually reapplied and he was part of that big mass commutation. Mm -hmm. And then a few months later he was released. And then three weeks later he murdered three people. Right. And, and, and so, I mean, what's happened with our part when you, you, you started with what's going on with our pardon and parole board is that uh, unfortunately our, our governor um, appointed, made, made some bad appointments. These are people that should not be serving as the gatekeeper when uh, Mr. Luck has a TED talk and, and look, you can be anti-death penalty and, you know, I appreciate other things that he does in the community for the homeless and such, but you can't be an anti-death penalty ideologue who thinks that prison is an extension of slavery mm -hmm. and be a guy who just blanket stamps. Right. Yeah, let's let Julius go. Let's let Mr. Anderson go. Yeah. Well, he, Mr. Luck, if you have done any research on him, he has a very big ego. So when he saw all of this success uh, with that mass commutation day and things like that, and all the numbers went down and, you know, I, I think real quick, it got to his head. Mm -hmm. um, and then it just got worse when he was appointed the chairman. Right. Oh, yeah. then all bets yeah. were off because it does say in there that he can change the rules whenever he wants. Right. Right. So, and yeah. And then you have Kelly Doyle, who is on record on video as saying, you know, it, I just applied as a joke. I didn't know what I was doing. And I just applied mm -hmm. as a joke. And I'm thinking, oh, what in the effing F? Are you kidding me? And but yet she also has an ulterior motive for being on that board. They both right. have right. Uh, yeah. different organizations, should I say, that sure. would benefit from letting these people out. Yeah, but here's the thing, because we were stalled because of COVID, 
we didn't really mm-hmm. see, unfortunately, we didn't have time to see how this was going to build. It mm-hmm. just built it and exploded. Yeah. Because yeah. the DAs started bringing up, you know, when all this started happening, several district attorneys started contacting and requesting the recusal of Adam Luck and Kelly Doyle on a few different cases. Right. Based, um, and based for very facts. good reason. Yeah, exactly. For very good based reason. on facts. Yes. Mm-hmm. And they were basically belittled and laughed off and ignored. Mm-hmm. In fact, I know that at one point, Ms. Doyle uh, told the district attorney that they didn't even want to contact them anymore because they're always going to object to it. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And the same with the victims. She wanted to change the mm-hmm. policy so that victims had no say in the commutation. Mm-hmm. Of pro- I mean, you're just like, what are you talking about? I mean, about? first of all, she took it out. Well, when they changed those rules, they took out because where it was before is for a clemency hearing, uh, the PPB would personally notify the victims or victims' family. along with attorney general, along with district attorney. Well, they got rid of that real quick. So then it was not any responsibility on the partner parole board to contact them personally on a clemency. Now the state would do it. So she got rid of that and she wanted to get rid of them being even able to talk. Yeah. I mean, I'm old fashioned. I don't think the parole board should be an advocacy group, right? It should be, we follow the letter of the law. And then mm-hmm. we evaluate individual cases based on that law. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, that that's an easy tell, right? When you're right. trying to, you know, because light exposes truth. When you're trying to hide stuff and not inform victims' families and you're trying to do stuff in the dark, mm-hmm. to me, the all kinds of red flags go up that you're not really interested in doing the right thing for the people of Oklahoma. You're interested right. in whatever your particular advocacy is. And the right. general public doesn't seem to realize that in any proceeding, whether it's court or whether it's a, a, a board, uh, due process requires fair and impartial hearing for both sides. So in mm-hmm. a jury trial, the jury has to be fair not only to the defendant, but to the state. Mm-hmm. And in this part and parole process, it should be fair to the defendant seeking commutation or clemency, as well as the victims and the prosecutor opposing it. And Luck and Doyle are not going to be fair. Correct. They're not going to be fair. Because he's gone. Well, he's gone now, yes. Yeah. And I try to be very consistent. I wouldn't want a parole board full of police and prosecutors. I mean, to your point, Lisa, it's the goal of that body should be the best interest of the state and also of the victim's family, as well as the defendant. And they should make objective decisions based on the facts of a particular case, not the whim of public opinion or however they're attempting to raise money in their purse, you know, in their life outside of the parole board, how they can use these cases to raise money and get attention. Well, the other thing is Adam Luck is straight across the board, anti-death penalty. Oh, yeah. So yeah. he has voted for clemency on every single one of these criminals that has come up this year. Yeah. So as they're supposed to be, like you just said, Kyle, like they're supposed to be, you know, fair and looking at, you know, what has happened since they were sentenced and was this sentence just, was it fair? Was it a little too harsh? You know, have they changed their life? Have they made some progress? Are they a risk to the public? 
he doesn't care. He just voted right. across the board the entire time. And that for me, you know, was what finally got me to such the frustrated point with Kelly Doyle, because I don't want to leave her out. I'd like to see her gone just as much as I wanted to see Adam gone. Mm-hmm. because not only with the joke comment, because I believe I touched on this where, you know what, Kelly, it's, I'm glad you think it's a joke, yeah. but it's not a joke to these victims and their families. And it's not a joke, the brutal process that you guys have made them go through some of them more than once. Oh yeah. When all oh, they're yeah. wanting to do is what they feel like they should for their loved one, who, by the way, these victims, families didn't ask for this sentence. They didn't, they're not the DA. Mm-hmm. They didn't get to, you know, charge them with a, certain sentence you know and so it's just it's so unfair and it's not okay and when you get to the point that um one of the victim's family members Cheryl uh Pilcher who her sister was murdered by Donald Grant who was just executed last Thursday we first met her actually the afternoon after that clemency hearing Mm -hmm. and she when she was explaining to us how terrified she was yeah to walk in there oh yeah to walk into a pardon and parole board, like just yeah. soak that in for a second. Like the power that some people think that they have now. Right. And it's again, just... if, if you want to do away with the death penalty, there's avenues to do that. There's mm-hmm. the legislative process to do that. Mm-hmm. And if you want sentencing reform, you know, if you want to make changes in the system, there are very clear ways to do that through the legislature that is open to the public to public comment and something that all of the people of Oklahoma can get behind not literally but is expressed through the will of the legislature it's not through these sort of you know smoke-filled room bureaucratic you know processes where again most of the public isn't going to spend three hours a day following the parole board or the you know machinations of the criminal justice system. And again, that's a reason that, you know, you see there's a theme, I think a lot of these, you know, for lack of a better word, social justice movements mm-hmm. all tend to occur, you know, in the dark corners and the smoke filled rooms, they don't occur in public through a normal, you know, legislative process. It's always finding a way yeah. to circumvent yeah. the will of the people. Right. And, and they won't, they won't work within that system. And I just real quick, Kyle, you are so right. I mean, in Oklahoma, our pardon and parole board is not, and should not be the go-to mechanism for sentence reform. It's not, exactly. that isn't it. And it shouldn't be it. And I know where Amy had said to me that one time, you know, we can't, we can't stay quiet. We have to do something. I mean, what I said to her, I is I'm scared. I'm scared for my family. I'm scared mm-hmm. for my friends and my neighborhood because not because of Julius Jones. It was because of the people on that pardon and parole board that were stamping him to possibly get out. Mm-hmm. Well, and my test is always the consistency test, right? Mm-hmm. Because if the roles were reversed, she would be losing her mind if the parole board was full of advocates and said, I am not going to parole anybody. I don't care if it was somebody, you know, that got a bad sentence when he was 18 and it's been 35 years. I am not going to parole anybody because I Mm -hmm. believe tough on justice. She -hmm. would lose her mind and she would make the exact same argument we are making that there, the, the parole board is not an advocacy. And that's, right. that is an easy tell that 
they don't have a consistent principle. It's all about advocacy and power. Yeah. And nor are they the jury, nor exactly. are they right. there to have that case relitigated, which if you watch the clemency hearing is exactly what they allowed Amanda Bass to do. And in mm-hmm. fact, in one of the letters, <laughs> why are you laughing? Because you're on a roll. Um, I, it's just, it's just, they, they acted just like the, the Julius Jones deceivers. Um, exactly. They didn't read, they didn't read the case files. And yet, and yet one of those hearings, Kelly said, oh, well, there's just too much doubt. Are you kidding That's me? That's what she said, both mm-hmm. of them. And that was why her vote was, which is not a grounds for clemency nor commutation. It's right. not. But the, that right there for anybody to say there's doubt is a red flag because it, it denotes that you didn't read one lick of the case files. Right. That's what and I isn't was it, say. Uh, isn't it traditionally a pardon, parole, commutation, clemency? You have to acknowledge what you did. And you right. have to show right. remorse mm-hmm. for what you did. And you have to Not say, for I've JJ, though, because he's never admitted to it. Right. right. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, you know, that's why the main reason he should have been denied. Because mm-hmm. he's up there trying to say, I didn't do it. Yeah. Even though parts of his uh, application imply that he did. Because mm-hmm. he names uh, Jordan as co-defendant. Yeah, and then there's that whole thing about all those other armed robberies and carjacking. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. I don't even, don't. Yeah. It's, I mean, uh, look. It, 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 here, my best, my best. Um, but wait, thing, Jennifer, haven't you heard? Those don't exist because he wasn't convicted. Oh, and yeah. he pled guilty to that yeah. one. But mm-hmm. that was only because he got a new lawyer that day. And the mm-hmm. judge was going to make him go to trial. And that new lawyer was not ready to go. He'd to already trial. been sentenced to death, dude. Yeah, well, I luckily. Mean, well, yeah, we know. But that's mm-hmm. that's the other. Um, there's there's like a. a let's see it's a hypocrisy Mm -hmm. in these groups if you're talking about julius jones or rodney reed then crimes he committed that he hasn't been convicted of don't exist they didn't happen Mm -hmm. exactly and And yet if they want to point the finger at somebody else and they have an idea of crimes committed by that person Mm -hmm. then that's okay even though those are all unadjudicated, uncon- not convicted, you don't even mm-hmm. know a date and a time and a victim on those crimes. Um, yeah, they not do to it chase a rabbit, <laughs> but that, that's one of the craziest. That's one of the craziest phenomenon of these, you know, supporter groups is they will go through just sometimes unbelievable mental gymnastics to justify why the convicted was innocent, but mm-hmm. then. They will, they basically need zero evidence to, you know, quote unquote, convict, you know, another alternative sub, you know, another alternative mm-hmm. suspect. And, you know, Jimmy Finnell is a great example. You know, there's, there's not a shred of evidence that he did it other than he did a terrible thing. What was it? 16 years later. So that 11. automatically means he's convicted. Whereas again, they ignore all the other, you know, accusations yeah. against Rodney Reed and, you know, yes, it's bad for those victims' family, but practically, once somebody's on death row, the criminal justice system just doesn't have the resources to go try 15 other crimes because practically nothing is going to change. Right. 
Well, I, I here's another angle of it for me with this pardon and parole board. I mean, I've worked with inmates in the clink. I have worked with high security inmates in the clink. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, it's wrong to, I, it's, this is a interesting, I'm, I'm going to try to, I'm going to tread carefully, but also just hear me out. I've seen these inmates who live in denial when they're in the clink and it's just the same old shit. But then you get the guys every once in a while who, who don't deny what they did. They don't, they own it. And some of them act like they don't care. And others, you know, every time they open their mouth about it, the floodgates open and then they are genuinely um, remorseful. And those are the guys that I've seen who turn their lives around in the clink and, and ultimately where they thought maybe they wouldn't, they do get released. And those are the mm -hmm. people that should be released. And those are the, I mean, that's a standard. And just to see um, nobody that nobody's had enough backbone to stand Julius up and say, now look here, you know, you did the, you know, no, mm -hmm. they've just sort of, they've just sort of, it's almost like he's just a muse for different causes. That's a great word. And, and he, they've shoved him over in a corner. Martyr. He's a martyr or whatever all that stuff is, but he's been used by people. And guess what? He lost bigly buying into it because not only did his sentence get commuted, it can never be revisited again. And he is going to spend a long, long time now in the clink. And he's not leaving less than a pine box. Mm -hmm. Now, what a terrible thing to do, even to him, even to a guy who is in total denial in the clink, sentenced to death. What a terrible thing for people to do even to him because, and people may not like how I'm saying it this way, but, you know, he was a smart kid. He was a smart kid last mm -hmm. time he checked off in the free world. And so because of, you know, whatever aims the aims of people outside the prison we will never know what he could have been if he owned his crime yeah, but the fact he was a smart kid and he was headed somewhere but he chose to be a thug sure you know that's where something mm -hmm. isn't right with him right and nobody had enough ass to confront him about it mm -hmm. they want I, they wanted they wanted to say you're the innocent victim because you're black yeah well, um, you got to you got to remember, I think we touched on this last week, didn't we, Lisa, about the time that this all happened. Um, I think it was on that email that I sent you, like the timeline, and it really all blew up, mm -hmm. you know, 2020 mm -hmm. after George Floyd, you know, and all that stuff happened. Yeah. Yep. That's when it all blew up. That's when everything was such a big deal. And that's when you see Judge Alan McCall, who was on the board. Mm -hmm. And he starts seeing them try to slide these new rule changes through without getting it approved, without getting an AG opinion, knowing darn good and well what's going on. And the first thing he sees is what I was speaking of earlier, where the admin rule, the new one, admits the requirement that staff has to notify victims. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, it also in there, they wanted to, they wanted to not have to go to the AG to clarify something that had been clarified, but there was just so many different things that were trying to be tossed under the rug. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and judge McCall's the only one that would stand up to him and, and, and say anything. And yeah. it's unfortunate mm-hmm. that he was no longer there. Oh, I know. Because, no. you know, if, if he were, I don't think that this would be happening. And, you know, the other thing is they changed some forms. Okay. Well, there's a yeah. certain timeline that a change to forms and policy and things has to run in what's called a register. Mm-hmm. Well, the reason, so Julius Jones was the first one to get what's called an enhanced stage two uh, commutation hearing, which I also like to refer to it as whatever Adam Luck feels like doing that day hearing, mm-hmm. because it clearly states in that enhanced um, stage two that basically the chairperson has the has the ability to change the rules on a whim. Mm-hmm. He can decide what date you have to have your statement in by. He can actually decide the day of if he wants to get give the inmate more time. Yeah, it's written that way, and yeah. so you know, he was given that new hearing, but funny enough, that was introduced a year before he was even given that hearing. So he got that on September 13th. The last run date was in the register on September 1st. Mm -hmm. So they couldn't have it until the 13th because it had to go its timeframe, but they were able to schedule it before Jennifer and I were talking about this earlier how they knew that they were going to, you know, have it approved by then. So they, that's why they put off his June hearing. Mm-hmm. Cause if you remember, he had it in March and then May, and then he was supposed to have it in June, but it was yeah. put off so that they could do that new stage two commutation process. Yeah. And I, there was a lot of talk in the, in the, uh, in the media about how, you know, they're, he didn't qualify uh-uh. for the appearance because of his misconducts. Uh-huh. Well, he should have never had a commutation to begin with because right. he had once he had that uh, execution date set. I mean, Stu yeah. was right in the fact that, and that's what gets me whenever the other side will be like, he was recommended or he was recommended for commutation twice. Well, the first one didn't count because he had an execution date. Mm-hmm. So you don't get a commutation and an execution. I mean, and a clemency hearing. Yeah. Right. Well, what, here's the interesting thing about that. What kind of kicked this off with a, a death row inmate in Oklahoma? Can they apply for commutation? I, I don't know what else is going on October of 2019, but, but that's when uh, Team Julius sent a clemency packet to the Pardon and Parole Board. And so the rub of it then was... Commutation whichever yeah. word well yeah. but i i mean the 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 what do you call it the public defender's office they refer to it as a clemency yeah so what whatever you want to call it um the thing that kind of created the confusion was wait a minute this is october of 2019 you're sending this in this guy hasn't even been given an execution date mm-hmm. and so there were different meetings talking about that and then there was a special meeting, I think, in November of 2019, where they're, they're 
see, they're right at that point in time, I think, is right when they're in the thick of the big mass release that's getting ready to happen or however they're preparing for it. Um, I, I may have my months or my year off, but I think that that was part of the advent of, and so it's interesting that that got sent in to the pardon and parole board people sort of during that time. And then of course, right, uh, Judge McCall just comes out swinging and is like, wait a minute, what on earth is going on? And then by March of 2020, he's in their meetings and, and he's saying, you know, I don't know what's going on. Their staff are being lobbied by outside parties, but we need to get this together because something isn't right. So mm-hmm. he's Can trying. I read the quote? Can I yeah. go ahead and read the quote? Yeah, so yeah. It was in an email. Uh, Judge McCall was not there that day. He was not in on the Zoom call. They held a meeting and decided to make changes to these policies, right? Well, he gets a copy of the policies that are going to be changed. And he responds back to Stephen Bickley and quote says, your continual attempts to inject your personal anti-death penalty opinions on the policies of this board are frightening. He says, uh, let me see here. Who is pulling the strings that hold you up? Perhaps the multi-county grand jury can look into that. (laughs) I'm going to request to appear in front of the multi-county grand jury ASAP before you and your anti-death penalty buddies can cause any more pain and heartache to victims' families. For our board to end... To, for our board to invent a new procedure because of your anti-death penalty bias is borderline criminal and I will have no part in it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he states that I believe uh, I want to present that there, I believe there's evidence of multiple violations of Oklahoma law by you and others. Yeah. And he says, you have slapped the faces of murder victims and their families for the last time on my watch. Mm-hmm. And he tried. I mean, oh, he tried yeah. and, you know, they tried to spin it and say that, uh, uh, what, what was that group that came out, Jen? And was like, they wanted his resignation saying that he was racist and something else because, uh, he was talking that way and it was just him against Julius Jones. Well, that's funny because at that time we didn't know that these were being made for Julius Jones or we didn't. Mm-hmm. Right. It was the ACLU. Yeah. That's what it was. They wanted his resignation. Yeah. I mean, and it's just, yeah. I mean, that's part of the thing and part of the issue. And I, I I hate, I hate that I'm saying this, but I'm going to say it. It is not always the case that because a black man is the one who's convicted that he's innocent and wrongfully convicted, sitting in jail, having never done a thing. And I think it's very wrong for that larger public conversation when all of the black advocacy groups, including the ACLU and our state black caucus, just automatically all jump on that bandwagon. He's black, wrongfully convicted, end of story, because, you know, it doesn't really help anything at all. I mean, if it, it just doesn't and it and it makes it worse and it and and it doesn't help people want to step into having what amount to some pretty difficult conversations you know i i'm just going back to um 
what, you know, Judge McCall was calling attention to. I mean, one of those other things, and it goes back to Kelly Doyle wanting to get rid of those misconducts on the application. And Amy, or someone can correct me if I'm wrong, but what's the irony of that is when they recommended Julius Jones uh, get commuted to life with parole, Mm-hmm. You, you just kind of go, okay, let's calculate this. So I think, I think maybe, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, if they, if he were to have received life, like let's say Governor Stitt went along with their recommendation of life with parole, having not included any of his plethora of misconducts, that would have amounted to time served. Mm-hmm had they gone through and recommended life with parole that included the misconducts, that would have been a little bit of a different story. It might've been close to time served, but I just find it kind of interesting and maybe I'm wrong about how that went down. But I think Miss Doyle knew exactly what she was doing when she was removing the misconduct element because she knew she was removing sentence time. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, and I'm not, I'm not an expert in the the Jones case, and I know we're not here necessarily to re adjudicate that one, but it's always, it's fascinating in some of these cases, and you guys correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that, you know, he claims to have had an alibi, which wasn't presented at the time of the trial. Okay, cookie. And, you know, I don't know, guys, like, you know, I mean. You're welcome, Lisa. I mean, Thank he you. was, you know, he he was not an unsophisticated person. His 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 parents were sophisticated. He was in college at the time. I have a hard time believing that if I had an alibi, I would just, oh yeah, I'm all my defend my public defender didn't mention it. I mean, I would scream from the top of my lungs, I would take the stand. And so, I mean. I get it that it's, you know, I can't blanketly speak for all of these cases, but it's always fascinating how they conveniently come up with an alibi that wasn't presented in trial. Mm-hmm. You know, as I know, Lisa, you love never has to, you know, face the scrutiny of cross-examination. It's really easy to say, oh yeah, I had an alibi and, you know, I just, it didn't get presented at trial. Right. I just, that just doesn't make, it doesn't pass the common sense you know, test me. If it was somebody who was unsophisticated, understand. You know, the Jones family was not an unsophisticated family. Well, I was going to give an example. I was just in a sentencing (laughs) uh, hearing last week. And Lisa, you probably know this too. Not only does the lawyer of the criminal ask and have him verify that this is what he has testified to. These are Mm -hmm. his wishes. Then the judge goes through it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's not something that, you know, an attorney could just get up there and say, oh, we've decided that he's not going to testify. They give you multiple, multiple chances. Yeah. And that is also, uh, Kyle, that is also an example of, uh, and we see it in, in, I think, every case where they cherry pick the information because that whole alibi thing, that was very thoroughly dealt with in a hearing mm-hmm. in 2005 not four or, or five no five. i think it was it was 2005 or maybe 2006 mm-hmm. where 
his two attorneys, two of his attorneys testified. Right. And said, he told us his parents were mistaken. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then there's the revisionist history. Right. You know, whereas yeah. Jones at the, at the, uh, at the appearance before the parole board says, oh, well, they must have misunderstood me because I never told them that. Yeah, I mean, inner team Arizona for the revisionist piece. Yeah. I mean, you know, you're right, Kyle. Uh, Mr. Jones is uh, definitely uh, not stupid. And, uh, and a pardon and parole board, our pardon and parole board sat there and listened to him deny, deny, deny things that they knew he was lying about. And so then let's just add, here's his sophistication. I mean, look, he hooked up with his buddy, Chris, from school um, right after, I don't know, or J- January, I think, of 99. And, and probably the first 15 minutes of their conversation, he's offering to go take an a- the SATs for Christopher Jordan so he can get in college, play basketball. Uh, that's pretty, that's, um, you're, you're thinking, your uh, cognitive thinking patterns as a criminal thinker. Right. When, once you are offering to go in as somebody else, that means you've got to get a fake ID and you're going mm-hmm. to go in and cheat for somebody. That's um, actually a pretty sophisticated criminal thinker. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But he, he wasn't, wasn't, but it's someone he that wasn't they a very to put back out on the streets he wasn't a very good criminal though because he kept getting caught oh well they're never yeah they're clever and smart (laughs) thankfully but but they always get not effective (laughs) yeah they always get caught he got caught with a fake the fake id thing Mm -hmm. all right enough Um, about julius yeah we can't get him anymore let's talk (laughs) about uh let's talk about lawrence anderson who also is another one who he never should have gotten out. I mean, he's never proven that in his prior releases, he's proven that he can't live a, a law abiding life. I mean, he even had a second chance where he was sent to like a rehab Mm -hmm. and he never showed up and he had dirty, you know, dirty UAs. Mm -hmm. So he was a person that really needed to just stay in prison. And I think that's the environment where he can function. Right. Best. Right. But here's what happened with that one is, so he had different offenses mm-hmm. that fell in different categories. Yeah. So where it got hung up is some of them were considered misdemeanors now. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. also it was stated by more than one member that they were so bogged down with so many applications for commutations and parole, they couldn't keep up. They weren't even able to review the stuff that they should have reviewed, which should have been a red flag there. I mean, why didn't one of them stand up? Judge McCall tried, but why didn't somebody else stand up and say, hey, stop. Like, we have to cut this off because something bad is going to happen. They didn't just check them off the box. But that's how that happened is because different classifications. That's another thing that I thought reading some of the articles that you sent, Kelly Doyle said something like, I only have one side and, you know, that's all I have to go on. And I'm like, yeah, but when you get to stage two and you let the inmate appear before you and the prosecutor shows you that everything they said in their application is a bald faced lie, Mm -hmm. then you vote to commute them anyway. 
and you sit there. I mean, what is wrong with that? That that's yeah. There's everything is wrong with that. Ridiculous. And it is because of that. It is because of that that the Blankenships and another family lost their loved one is because of her standing Mm -hmm. mute and stamping approval for Mr. Anderson. Ironically, actually on the vote sheet in 2020, Mm -hmm. she 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 voted no. Well, she's part of that collective. (laughs) But prior to that, she voted, she voted to pass it to the January date. Well, here's the other thing with Ms. Doyle. Let's, but I, just, talk about but I just want to finish this point. It is because of that, but the decisions of the, that Oklahoma pardon and parole board are the very reason they are directly responsible for the lives that were lost mm-hmm. at the hands of Mr. Anderson. And that's just it period. And, and, and they've got to answer for that. They have to answer for this. It's gets part of the chaos. There's a pattern and a practice of recklessness that has left Oklahomans, you know, afraid for their safety on their own streets, in their homes and neighborhoods. And, and so people can talk about politicizing and appointments and all of that. But the bottom line is they, somebody needs to take the keys away from, from that pardon and parole board. They should mm-hmm. not be holding the keys. Well, again, she doesn't have any consistency. Let me give you a rundown wow. of how she's voted and why. So she... <sighs> Not only we already talked about the 2019 as it being a joke for her applying. So in the clemency hearing of uh, Grant, he brutally murdered a woman by stabbing her 16 times. Mm-hmm. She votes for clemency. Okay. Um, Jones clemency. <laughs> Again, Paul Howe murdered execution style. Her response for granting clemency she has doubts in the truth and the facts of the case. Mm-hmm. Not your job. So next, it's Bigler Stoper. He shoots two people. One of them passed away. She voted for clemency and life without parole only due to the concerns of the pain and suffering during execution. Again, not yeah. her job. So you've got yeah. three different reasons here. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. so then it gets to uh donald grant he had two victims oh yeah and she states this is what floored me she voted no for clemency due to her statement which said i also feel that it's my responsibility to identify those cases that are unusually heinous and cruel and to me this is one of those cases well kelly doyle i think that any time that someone is brutally murdered that's heinous and right cool. yeah my point being she doesn't have any consistency she doesn't have you know not one time in there that she granted for clemency did she say anything to the effect of you know what i think that you've changed your life i don't think that you're a danger to society mm-hmm. like you it's like they're just throwing up all of these different reasons to a whiteboard right and seeing which one they can use next time yeah right. well i'll tell right. you it, it go, go demonstrates the, the improper decision making across the board by luck and doyle at least you know i mean the the one uh member i can't remember his name you know he had some connection to jones so he recused himself or disqualified himself yeah you know it actually wasn't even to jones it was to one of jones representatives who was there that day at the ah, okay and he did the right thing 
Yeah. He 100% did the right thing yeah. because he hadn't had any conversation, but yet we got Adam Luck in 2019 retweeting and mm-hmm. then following and liking certain pages, having conversations with people trying to get their sentences. Yeah. Muted, yeah. To give them, to send them a DM. Yeah. Dude, the only DM you need is the one that Stick gave you last week, which said, I want your resignation. Right. And that hopefully will lead somewhere to, uh, and that's the thing that, that boggles my mind. If you're so social, you know, socially conscious, how can you not see that as a conflict of interest or, a, or demonstrating a lack of impartiality? Yeah, nobody held them accountable. In fact, our own governor, December, what was it? Gen 6, 12th, he came oh, out and yeah. defended that pardon and parole board. Uh-huh. And not even a month well, later, you know, what? I, that report comes back. And I, there's some shady stuff. I think we've established that Kevin Stitt doesn't know his ass from a hole in the ground. Nah, he's too busy. He just doesn't court. know. He's he's thinking he's thinking he's going to be on a ticket with somebody mm-hmm. who shall remain nameless. Mm-hmm. Um, and he also uh, thinks it's okay to um, harass and re-victimize the victims when they're called into his office oh my god before before let's vote for clemency and i tell you what Mm -mm. Mm -mm -mm. that is because that's not his job either his job is not to i would judge and jury yeah i would at least hope that he had enough sense about him to know that again that family didn't ask for the sentence that was handed down they didn't all that family wants is to be able to live the rest of their lives, not scared to death that that person's going to show up at their door because they had already found where they were. Mm-hmm. So it's just, that's mm-hmm. the part of it too. So it's not just the pardon and parole board. It's yeah. the other people around it. I mean, governor Stitt is guilty. I you know, know what was said and yeah, it's yeah. unacceptable. It's, it's, ter- unacceptable. it's terrible what he said. And, you know, going back to that clemency hearing, um, the Pilcher family did something that I personally, it's just my own observation, what they did at that hearing um, for Mr. Grant or for the hearing in general is I think was maybe something where I sensed the first, um, I could see it, uh, that Miss Doyle actually knew she had been compelled to make a decision um, in a certain way. And that was the Pilcher family allowed the, the crime scene pictures to be shown mm-hmm. and they were gory. And it was, it was, it wasn't, uh, it, I, 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 I just knowing how her sister was killed and how mm-hmm. long she fought for her life. I really actually, it was my observation that uh, Miss Doyle in particular, she looked genuinely disturbed by what she saw. And um, I, I, if that, if there were anything different or a difference maker on that day, um, that was maybe it. And what's interesting, though, is that when Amy and I um, did our presser with the Pilchers, you know, the next day, the first thing that that the that Cheryl had said was that, you know, while she was glad that. Mr. Grant didn't get clemency. She actually felt like their decision wasn't genuine at all because she knew all of the other things that had been going on with this particular pardon and pro board. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It yep. was really sad. And she and- actually said she felt bad. Remember, Jim? 
Yeah, she felt she bad. She said she felt horrible because like they, I mean, she was grateful, but she felt bad because it could have happened to her yeah. and she knew that the Howell family deserved it. Yeah. And, yeah. you know. That's crazy. So it's, I mean, the bottom line is we're not done. We're not done. We're not done. We have plenty more to do and there's more to come up. And we now have a new pardon and parole board member. Mm-hmm. We don't know what's going to happen because as we touched on last year, I mean, there's, there was a grand jury investigation. There was a report done. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's things that are going to come out of that as well. Right. Um, but the, what I feel, you know, if I were asked what needs to be focused on is there needs to be a more black and white outline of what they're looking for and what they can and cannot do. And I don't mean right. changing speaking times or this or that what are you looking for mm-hmm. what is the reason for this and avoid right. unethical behavior avoid biased opinions you know here here's another thing it says in their new rules that if clemency is recommended that the board can also include a recommendation for commutation well that's not necessarily true uh-huh. because if you go to a life sentence you if you're sentenced to death or the life sentence, they can't do that. The board can't do that. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. So I, I think that we need to make it to where they don't get this immunity for their decisions. I think there yeah. should be something written into the law where they don't get the same kind of blanket immunity as a judge would. For- well, they're under a government, uh, governmental tort claims act. Yeah. The, okay. as part of the executive mm-hmm. branch there. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. They're going to have now, some immunity now. Reckless, reckless behavior, um, right, could maybe be argued, but right. And I think we're going to see that, you guys. I think we're going to see that soon. Where hey, this happened at the you know because of the decision of this, or you, you know it. I think there's going to be a lot of things, like I said, come to pass, but. It's unfortunate because we've got some district attorneys who work their tails off. I know it. To I make know. sure yeah. and speak for these these victims and the victims' families. Um, Jason Hicks in Grady County is one of them. Right. And, you know, bless his heart, he was one of the first ones that back in 20, uh, I believe it was 19, 20, that, you know, wrote a letter and said, I want you to recuse yourself. Yeah. And they basically laughed at him. I mean, they have a hard enough job. Mm-hmm. And then basically to walk in and the way that the PPB is handling it now is they're handling it like it's a new, a new trial. Yeah. You know, and they just get to start yeah. all over. So all of that work that was done just means nothing. And it's and I, just so unfortunate. Yeah. I, think, I, go ahead, I, I was going to say, I think, you know, I had a friend who was on a similar board in Tennessee and before she started her term, there was a class. And this is what you are here to do. You're not here to decide guilt or innocence. That's already been decided. You're Mm -hmm. not here to decide whether the sentence is fair or not, because that's already been decided because it's been challenged in court. You are here merely to decide whether this person is deserving of pardon, parole, clemency, or commutation. Mm -hmm. Right. And this is what this means. And I think Oklahoma's board could really use a class like that for incoming. And if you're here with a social agenda, forget about it. Well, they talked about that. You'll see in their meeting minutes, 
where they talked about getting new training for clemency hearings and things like that. And Judge McCall suggests, I don't know where I'd put it, but he suggests talking to prosecutors and, you know, detectives and things like that so that they can understand just how in-depth of an investigation and how much evidence they had to have to be able to get them to that point. There's and actually, there's actually a single training. There's actually yeah. a group. I think it's called like National Association of Parole Boards. Da, 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 da. I mean, where they, you can take online webinars, you know, that train you as a, as a parole board mm-hmm. to, to make right ethical decisions case by case. And um, I've, I've looked at it and it's pretty lengthy and it, and, and it gets into some of the things that I personally came to understand about inmates when I was working with them. And I mean, I mean, I, you know, I understand, I understand that the members of the parole board, they are appointed by the governor in our state. Um, but I'm just not sure if that's maybe the right way to go or, or, You've got to have some kind of degree in, in criminology or something. They do. That's you, a requirement. They do, yeah. Well, they well, is. okay. Well, then there's a test. And if you can't tell me the definition of criminogenic need, you can't be on that board. You guys, mm-hmm. if they don't have a stricter outline of what they can and cannot do, it's not going to matter because we yeah. can implement training. But as it stands right now, they can go change the rules and procedures tomorrow and they don't have right. to do it. That's what I'm saying. First, and, we have to get to a point where they don't have that much flexibility. Right. Well, and, and it sounds like, guys, I mean, I don't, maybe I wasn't fully following you, but I was looking at Miss Doyle's LinkedIn profile, and it doesn't appear to me that she would meet that requirement of having any kind of background in criminal justice. She well, has she mental did. health, which is one of the mental health. Yeah. Mental health. Oh, okay, I got it. Well, I don't know what kind of mental health because I, I don't know. I mean, there. Are, I just can't. I, to me, it's kind of like I, as a well, as a citizen, as a voter, I work in public safety. I've worked helping inmates. I want to see. I don't want your website to say we can change the rules when we want, or we don't, we don't have to explain mm-hmm. our, our decision. Mm-hmm. Are you fucking kidding me? If you're going to release that guy, yeah. I want to know why I want to know right. what, I want to know what his MMPI score is. I want to know what his criminogenic needs were. I want to know that you've done what you should to help that inmate so that when he gets out, he is going to succeed. Mm-hmm. I right. want to well, know was, all that. They're not asking those questions. Yeah. Well, I was thinking about that as you guys were talking is, you know, especially when there's been, you know, so much concern about sort of, you know, racial and other biases in the system for every action that the board takes, there ought to be a very clear objective way to explain why that decision was made and why mm-hmm. a different inmate received a different you know, decision. It could be for Mm -hmm. all of the things that you mentioned, Mm -hmm. you know, Kelly gives a couple very clear to say, yeah, this is why we took this action on this inmate. And here's the, you know, here's the five things that led to this Mm -hmm. decision. And that sort of should ameliorate any concerns about, you know, bias, et cetera, because again, it's as objective as you can reasonably be. Mm -hmm. You're exactly right, Kyle. I think, you know, 
they have, because I remember sitting there listening to all of those, they go through that list for people for parole mm-hmm. um, in the first stage and those that are granted or denied, and they'll give reasons. They'll give letter or numbers. Mm-hmm. And those reflect to a reason, whether it be misconducts or, but in those, they do have to give one. They do have to give a reason for denial. So I think it needs to go both ways. I mean, I really think that, again, there has to be more accountability because at this point, they've been able to get away with everything that they want. I mean, the only consequence that's happened so far, and it's a consequence for him, but it's a blessing for the state of Oklahoma, is Adam Luck is not on there. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I don't know if you've heard about the case in Guthrie, Oklahoma. No. Yes, wherein an individual was killed and buried okay oh yeah yeah yeah. right so they finally find out who did it which is a business owner i mean he he murdered him tried to heal you know hide his body everything else buries them Mm -hmm. they go to his (laughs) arraignment and this is a guy who just murdered someone and they've got it on surveillance it's not like they think he did like they've got some hardcore evidence the -hmm. judge allows him to post bond yeah Posted bond supposed to be under certain conditions, such as ankle monitor. He was only allowed to go to certain places. And if not, then it got revoked. Mm -hmm. So sure enough, I mean, it took about a month, but he was back in court because he violated that and it got revoked. So what that told me was judges are being held accountable. If a judge acted the way that this pardon and parole board is acting, they wouldn't be a judge anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody has to have a consequence. And if this pardon and parole board doesn't get some consequences and people don't start waking up and realizing that before you know it, your next door neighbor or the person bringing your food delivery could be someone that, Mm -hmm. you know, had an armed robbery. Yeah. Yeah. Because they just, you know, knew somebody that was famous. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, hey, I'm, I'm, Sorry, my apologies for the F bomb earlier. Oh no, no. I I marked this explicit. Don't worry about it. Okay. <laughs> Can I blame I it? Ask on- that, Jim. So like, yeah. Man. The master of divinity is gonna blame it on the Navy. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I think going forward, hopefully, um there's gonna be a lot more attention to it because I don't know about you guys, but I'm not gonna be quiet. Uh, and I think that there's been enough attention on it mm-hmm. that I think that the next clemency hearing that's scheduled, you know, yeah. or the next docket, like they're going to be, they're going to be looked at and scrutinized because like you said in the beginning, some of their stuff is not on there and they are in violation. Cause I yeah. actually went on today looking for some stuff. Oh, like we talked about the other day, JJ's uh, clemency hearing. It was not up when it was supposed to be up. It mm-hmm. had just recently gone up and you can't get any minutes for 20 uh past december or no january of right 2020 right they removed them yeah we yeah mm-hmm. we had yeah we had to get ours from the uh from the victims from mr anderson's AG? Victims. oh yeah. well and now part of the reason they've removed some of them is because there's uh you know criminal charges and this that and the other but you know, it's it. Everybody needs to pay attention, and they need to wake up. And uh, but if that's the case, you know, there should be something that says we've had to take this down because, right? 
it, right. it is, do that because then they'd have to accept accountability or responsibility for something. And you know, that's against their narrative. Um, but what, that's unfortunately, that's what open records require you to do, buddy. Right. Which <laughs> trader has already raised once before um, that you're violating the open records. Well, I frankly think that the two of you should get behind uh, whoever is running against it on a, uh, a an anti-social justice warrior platform. Well, actually, we it that's that's an interesting thing because we don't have one. We don't have one because you got Joy Hockmeister. Yeah, oh, anybody who's we'll running anybody who was running for governor, including Miss Joy, at some point in the last few months, explained what they would do to see mm-hmm. fit for Julius to be let out. And don't you know that oh. we don't you know that Jennifer's calling up Amy, going please take a copy of the transcripts to her office. <laughs> she it did. Down she right literally there. wanted me to hand her a copy of the transcripts. Mm-hmm. I mean, I what we've literally started doing in Tulsa is we've circulated the list, like people who are running for mayor or municipal office. And we're telling, we are telling their opponents, I want you, here's something for you to use. This person was actually advocating for, uh, supporting a parole board uh-huh. ad- advocating for the release of a convicted rightfully convicted killer so if you want to use that against them great because they shouldn't be sitting in office see here here's the thing you know we talk about mr jones crime and mr anderson and and but really um at this very moment as i kind of close up what i'm going to say is that really the people oh, miss doyle or um, the former member, Mr. Luck. Um, there's two of them that are still on there. And, and those people are actually more dangerous than the offenders that we continue to talk about because they have the power and they've exercised it mm-hmm. to let people out. And one of them committed a triple murder. And so that's really kind of scary to me. That's, I don't, they don't have the power. That we need to remember. Well, but they've done it. And, right. and, and, and so, right. I, you know, when we've gone and circulated the lists of, of uh, people like Regina Goodwin and Melissa or Vanessa Hall Harper and, and you know, min- municipal and state level people to say, hey, those people were advocating for that killer to be freed. I mean, that we mean business because if you're in that position, um, where you have constituents that, that you're charged with protecting and you're not doing it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's serious business and, and you shouldn't be in office. And so that's really part of what we've been doing in Tulsa um, is, is making sure that all of the candidates know um, if you said anything to advocate for that guy. Um, you can expect your name on a billboard that says that you did and that was wrong. <laughs> well, that's like Miss Connie Johnson. I 100% right. called her out the second she mm-hmm. stepped out of her car at that execution last week. I'm yep. not kidding you. I had been there since, mm-hmm. I don't know, nine o'clock. That woman stepped out about two minutes till, mm-hmm. went and stood on camera with the anti-death penalty people and left. Mm-hmm. I mean, the entirety of Tulsa's Mm-hmm. A Democratic Party actually published a letter on November 19th, the day after Julius was uh, commuted or whatever, 
expressing their gratitude to the governor. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. For easing yeah. the pain and the suffering of the Jones family. I mean, they, it's like they lost so many Democrats that day. And rightfully so. I mean, look, mm-hmm. you can't, I'm, I don't know anybody whose politics are that, you know, who's, in, you know, embedded in their politics that bad that they're going to go along with a party saying, oh, yeah, let that habitual violent offender go free. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I said on one of the other podcasts we did before, but everybody knows it's an election year. And you can't complain about it if you're not going to stand up for it. And there's a lot of noise on each side, but you're just going to have to be the louder one and you've got to just do what's right. You know, the daughter of uh, Andrea Blankenship, she's young. Oh, Haley. She showed up with us at a presser. I know. And I thanked her for coming. And you know what she said to me? I felt like it was just the right thing to do. Absolutely. She's a 20 year old child Mm -hmm. and we can't even get members of a pardon and parole board to do the right thing. Just because it's because they've lost sight of it. Yeah. It's Mm -hmm. that's the point we're at, you guys. And it it is terrifying, you know, because we're laying a path and setting a precedence for things to come that I don't know if anybody pays attention to the news in Chicago and Oh, down in Houston, you know, all of the horrible things that are going on with the criminal justice reform, but that's exactly where we're headed. Mm-hmm. And I don't yeah, want, well, and it is going to take that. It's going to take that grassroots, you know, movement, just like, you know, you've seen with some of the school boards. And I think it's, you know, it's smart to have the voices heard of some of those, you know, the victims, you know, like Miss Blankenship, because those are the people that will resonate. And I mean, and that's the funny reality of these types of things. I guarantee you, if you were going to go do a survey of, you know, Southern Hills Country Club, Mm -hmm. you'd probably have a bunch of people. Oh, yeah, I'm so excited, you know, that he was released. That's just fantastic. How great are we? But if you walk through his neighborhood and the people, you know, in the parts of town where these people are terrorizing, they don't want these killers out. Mm -hmm. They don't want, you know, they don't want these you know multiple offenders out on the streets because they know they're the victims of it i mean you see it in the you know in the defund the police movement it's it's Mm -hmm. the people that don't really ever have to worry about crime or really feel like they're ever going to need the police they're the ones that are most vocal it's the people that actually live in the highest crime rate neighborhoods they want the police they want the police there to protect them because they're going to be the victims of the crime it's not the people you know that get big paychecks and go to cocktail parties you know on advocacy boards you're so right kyle you are 100 right yeah and i'm in new orleans and i'm in new orleans and right now you have more of a chance of being shot on the street caught in the crossfire than you do of being killed by a police officer mm-hmm. yeah. i mean our murder rate is ridiculous and the carjacking rate is ridiculous and that's a good plug i've been thinking about if you guys haven't i would encourage everybody to who's listening to go look this up there was a great study that the skeptic research center did in february of 2021 talking about how informed are Americans about race and policing. 
And it's just amazing how misinformed people are really of all, across the political spectrum. But, you know, just a quick highlight, they said that, you know, people that identified themselves as very liberal, more than half of them believe that a thousand or more unidentified African-American men were killed each year by police. When in reality, it's yeah. somewhere less than 30. It's between, you know, they think 13 to 27. And so it's just amazing how uninformed the average person is on a lot of these really complex issues. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when you're thinking that, you know, as LeBron James says that, you know, police are just out in the street hunting down people for no other reason but their race, I don't blame you for being scared. But when you actually look at the data, you realize that, you know, the data doesn't bear out what you're being told on social media or even through some of the corporate media. Right. Like the facts, people. <laughs> facts don't care about your feelings. Exactly. You. I have no problem. <laughs> right. I'm looking at that right now, Kyle. How informed are Americans about race and policing? And see, I've done research for some of the... Uh, police reform groups here in town, the, the very people who were advocating for Julius's release. And to be honest with you, um, I gave them the facts that they asked for and they didn't like those facts. So they don't use them mm -hmm. because they're perfectly happy in their own little narrative. But it, but, but if you go into some of the neighborhoods and different areas of town that, the, that most of them come from and you ask those neighbors, they'd say, they, they want the police there. They want to work with police. They want the police there. And they almost feel like they're, they're being, uh, their voices are being stifled by different um, community voices who, who just don't seem to want to deal with facts. And that's very, very sad. And um, it's kind of like when the innocence project doesn't want to deal with the DNA results yeah. that does yeah. not exonerate their client. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, I, I hate to do this to you guys, but I am going to have to get off here. And uh, Kyle, it's been wonderful to meet and have this discussion with you, Kyle and Lisa and Amy. And, and um, we could probably do this for hours. I bet. I know. So much to talk <laughs> we about. You do. You and I do either via email or text or phone. And Jennifer, by the way, uh, if you have any dealings with Tulsa Homicide, Please pass along that I am a fan of every single one of them. <laughs> oh, okay. And also, I would love to talk to any one of them, and I would love to meet Sticks Larson. Oh my god! Oh, god. I'm gonna tell you something. I think that's Amy's area. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, funny story about that. Uh, Sticks does CrossFit as well, and he was oh. just at the competition I was at in Tulsa. <laughs> so, you're welcome. Yeah, let him know well, I'm a big fan. You know, uh, if you're um, one of the uh, the retired homicide detective, his name is um, Dave Walker, is a uh, valued friend. Mm -hmm. um, he's got a, a page called Me Tours, and he also has a podcast, Solve Them While You Get Them, and on and it's on Facebook. You know, I would encourage you to reach out to him. Um, just if you, yeah, he, he's, he's a really great um, voice of wisdom, you know, in his retirement that, that Tolson's love to hear about. And 
Mm-hmm. You got, if you reach out to him, he'll talk to you. He'll talk to anybody about all this stuff. He's just really um, good. He's He was somebody that helped us along um, with Justice for Peggy and, mm-hmm. um, you know, but I'll certainly, I, I well, can't do the sticks thing, but I can let you know <laughs> that you're a fan of. Next, next to New Orleans, mm-hmm. uh, Tulsa and Memphis are my two favorite units. Oh, okay. Memphis, yeah. because I lived there and they originally, they were the original, one of the original cities. Yeah. Uh, but then defense attorneys in Memphis uh, caused issues with A&E mm. where they sought raw footage that A&E didn't want to give them. Mm. And it got to be very messy. So Memphis PD decided we're not going to do this anymore. Yeah. So, yeah. but Yes, thank you very much. And thank you, Jennifer. I'm so so glad I was finally able to talk to you about something because uh, I was looking forward to that. Thank you for having me on and um, look forward to doing it. Thank you for letting me join. And and we're we're definitely going to do this again, y'all. Yeah, let's do the We We have a new pardon and parole board member. And then I would guess that there's going to be more to come from this. So Mm -hmm. we've got more executions scheduled, which have clemency hearings. So we will be in touch for sure. Oh, definitely. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining me. I think, um, I think I'm getting close to, uh, my end time with, uh, with zoom. Okay. But thank you so much y'all for joining me. I'm going to, uh, do my outro and okay, and uh, we're gonna wrap it up for right now. Thanks, yeah, guys. Nice to meet you, Kyle. Thanks Thanks for yeah, nice to meet you all. Take care. Thank Take you, care. Uh, Kyle. Bye-bye. Why don't you stay? Uh, okay. Why don't you stay? Okay, absolutely. <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. All right. How do I do this? Oh dear. <laughs> Oh, oh, there you are. Okay, good. So how did you, how did you, what did you think? How did you feel? You did great. Oh, well, thank you. No, I had a great time. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, it was great. It was much, yeah, I was able to participate more than I thought, you know, given my relative ignorance of, of some of those cases. So yeah, I really enjoyed it and would, you know, love to do it again. I, I'm going to say you had some great insights and, you know, Jennifer and, and Amy, I know that they found some of your insights and your your comments to be incredibly insightful and on point. So well, thank you. yeah, I, it was. Uh, I hope you enjoyed yourself because I would love to have you back. No, that'd be great. Yeah, let's just be in touch. And yeah, I, I think I saw your email. Would love to. Uh, would love to talk about the Reed case because I at least you know. I know a little bit about that when, mm-hmm. you know, certainly not as much as you, but at least know a little bit more about the details. Right. Well, uh, one thing we're going to talk about as well is apparently there's an ask David Fisher on Kevin Stu's podcast tonight. So we're going to kind of, I think we're going to kind of critique a little bit about that as well. And what, how do you spell his, I'm not familiar with that podcast, David, S-T. Kevin Stu, S-T-E-W, like Stu in a pop. Kevin Stu, okay, we have to check that out. I'll send you a link by email. I'll send you a link to the, to the show tonight. Got it. Is that the, the night shift? Yes. Okay. Yes. 
that's the one looking it up on the googles <laughs> interesting i think it was live tonight yeah and it's on youtube it comes it it's you can oh, find it on it. youtube okay yeah that's yeah. the thing so many of these guys have multiple channels mm -hmm. so yeah i'll have to check that out all right well um i will i'll email you when it's up I'll probably find it, track it down tomorrow night when I get home okay. and I'll send you an email with the link so you can, you can watch it. I'll probably watch it over the weekend. No, that'd be great. Or listen to it over the weekend. And, um, I'll get in touch with you for the recording time and all that stuff for next week. Yeah, that sounds great. I appreciate it. Yeah. Let me know if you need anything in the interim. Great job, Kyle. Thank you. No, so much. thank you. I appreciate it. A great job uh, prepping. So yeah, have a great night and uh, good luck with the uh, doing the intro and the outro. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do the outro and hopefully that one will not be the snafu that the uh, initial stage was. <laughs> no worries. So, All right. Well, sounds good. But you take care, Lisa. Thanks, Kyle. All righty. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Based in Fact, a true crime podcast with Lisa O'Brien. If you like the show and want to know more, you can find me on Facebook or follow me on Twitter at O'Brien L. Ann. Uh, I will be back on February 6, 2020 with a cast as yet to be determined to talk about the developments in the Rodney Reed case. Judge J.D. Langley denied Reed's 10th state writ. His attorneys filed another writ in December, alleging that the state withheld hearsay and rumors from the defense at trial based on information that was produced to them prior to the 10th writ hearing. Finally, the state has filed its opposition to Reed's request for a writ to the U.S. Supreme Court in connection with his civil rights claim filed in federal court to challenge the denial of his request for DNA testing in state court. Uh, I want to thank Amy and Jennifer for their uh, taking their time to talk with me tonight and their patience because I had a technical snafu that resulted in a very interesting uh, initial conversation not being recorded for this broadcast. Um, anyway, we'll be back next week. And until then, have a great week and stay safe. Good night. Thank you.